This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Hello and welcome to the latest Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel. Liverpool could only draw with Burnley in their last outing in the Premier League as they missed plenty of chances and were punished for their wastefulness with that excellent strike from Jay Rodriguez, albeit one which came from a free kick which should not have been awarded. I'm Matt Addison, here to preview Liverpool's next game, which is of course Arsenal, Mikel Arteta's side at the Emirates Stadium. And to look ahead to that game, I have on the line with me someone that Blood Red listeners will know very well indeed. Often the man to host Blood Red, the post-game podcast, and indeed this very show behind enemy lines. Guy Clark is an Arsenal fan, and so it was only right that we spoke to him ahead of this one. Guy, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not so bad. And I suppose appropriate behind enemy lines, you could say that's that's the day job for me. Yes, very much so. I mean, we're going to start with the painful defeat to Tottenham for Arsenal most recently. Um, just to, to start with, your your general thoughts on, on that match and, and the performance really from, from Arsenal. Highlighted exactly everything Arsenal are, unfortunately, right now. Um, we, we played with intensity. Uh, it was fairly compact in, in part. Certainly second half, we I thought we were in the ascendancy. We were the better side, but... I think it shows where Arsenal are at this moment in time. And I think, to be fair, ninth in the Premier League on the same points as Burnley, um, unfortunately, is is where 2020 Arsenal find themselves. Took the lead in that game. What a brilliant goal from Alex Lacazette. But then in, almost immediately, Saeed Kalasinac plays the ball wayward of David Luiz and... Hyunmin Son gets onto it. He equalises. And second half, as I say, we, we were in the ascendancy. We had a lot of the ball. We didn't create all too many clear-cut chances. Aubameyang did have a couple of goes. And Hugo Lloris watched a couple wide of the, the post and dealt with any anything else that came his way. And then a set piece. I mean, it, it's a decade or more Arsenal have had a soft belly right at the heart of defence. And we concede a, a set-piece goal in the final 10 minutes of a game. For Arsenal fans who have seen what Mikel Arteta's brought to the club, it's unfortunately nothing new. He's He's been encouraging as a manager, but we are conceding a lot of late goals and at, at, the, at the same time, having not been clinical enough in the in the sort of hour or 75 minutes in which Arsenal have been dominating matches, not killing off opponents, means that even just one late goal in a game is costing Arsenal precious points. Yeah, I mean, ordinarily you would say that that losing to Tottenham, you know, maybe isn't the worst result in the world. Obviously, oh, they I would. reached a well, I suppose <laughs> from an Arsenal perspective. But I mean, just from a, a neutral's perspective, I mean, Tottenham, you know, generally speaking, are, are a decent team. But like Arsenal this season, they've really, really struggled, and that was a missed opportunity, wasn't it? Oh, definitely, and and a missed opportunity to beat uh, a side managed by Jose Mourinho, which. Uh, you won't need me to tell you there's no love, no love lost between he and Arsenal supporters. And the first game at Tottenham's new stadium, first North London derby there, it was all going so well with Lacazette scoring that goal. But as I say, it's, it's that soft underbelly once more that's just cost Arsenal dear. And it was a missed opportunity. I think Arteta, actually the first Arsenal manager since Bruce Rioch in 1995 to lose his first North London derby. And that's now something that's on, on the record book and it's something that he, he won't be able to atone no matter how long he's in the dugout at, at the Emirates. Yeah, the, the man who's in the dugout at the moment, Mikel Arteta, you mentioned him just a, a few minutes ago. And 
he's not been in the job too long, obviously. Come from Manchester City, Pep Guardiola's apprentice, if you like. I mean, how would you sum up the, the job that he's done so far? I, I, I sum it up, to be honest, that I don't think there's much more with the squad of players he's got at his disposal that he nor probably any other manager would be able to get out of them. Um, as I say, it's it's so much different to what Unai Emre was serving up as as Arsenal manager. If you if you discount the the, the draw, the goal draw at Everton, basically the day after Arteta was a formally formally given the job, but wasn't really. Um, had time to sort of demonstrate what he could do. The 17 games since Arsenal would be sixth in the Premier League, 27 points picked up in that time, and only Liverpool and Manchester United have lost fewer games, but Arsenal have drawn six in that time, which only Brighton in, in, in sort of those 17, 18 games split across the Premier League have drawn more, and that is the problem. As I said before, we we start games strongly. It's very intense. It's very compact. The pressing's there. Everything looks good. It's individual errors, i.e. Kalasinac gifting Son his goal against Tottenham or the team effectively just running out of legs almost as early as the 60th minute mark in, in quite a few games. There was a game early on in Arteta's reign against Chelsea at the Emirates around sort of the, the Christmas New Year turn. And we were 1-0 up in that game, looking brilliant came out for the second half in the game and, as I say, from pretty much the 60th minute onwards, could not get out of our own even defensive third. Chelsea got two late goals and and won the game and it's kind of been a very similar story. I think, obviously, we don't know how this end of the season is going to play out in terms of pre-seasons for next year, but I don't think you'll see the proper Arsenal under Mikel Arteta until, A, he's been able to work some magic in the transfer window and that is exactly what it's going to need to be there's there's an awful lot of work needed to be done on the recruitment side of things from Arsenal and secondly he gets a pre-season a full pre-season in his squad to get the intensity the fitness levels up because at the moment they're getting to the the back end of games and late on in them the, the game management's costing them dearly yeah I mean the, there is a bit of a problem as you say with late goals for Arsenal I mean I don't know what you would put that down to. Is it is it fitness? Is it concentration? Or, or is it just individual mistakes when you've got sort of players that, that Arsenal have got at the moment? Maybe that's almost just inevitable. Yeah, I think... Sorry, State of Affairs, I think it is. Um, I think, actually, the, the defence does get an awful lot of hammering at Arsenal. And it is quite rightly so. They They aren't good enough, really, to be able to put Arsenal in the position Arsenal Football Club wants to be. Because can't keep clean sheets and if you can't keep clean sheets on a continuous basis then you're going to struggle to climb a league table but also at the top end of the pitch uh, there's players who do get a lot of praise Aubameyang Bakayo Saka this year Nicolas Pepe's come in obviously a, a rumoured Liverpool target before arriving at Arsenal he's scored and assisted goals this season and Lacazette's recently found his shooting boots but they're not really scoring enough goals I would say for my liking in a game I mean scored four against Norwich since the restart but just looking at the the numbers here you have to go back to the 23rd of February the 3-2 win over Everton in which Arsenal were clinging on by the end for the last time Arsenal scored more than two goals in a game they're starting well but as I say they then I think it is a mix of all all three things that you said I think it's the concentration I think it's the individual errors and I, I don't as I mentioned before I don't think the squad is probably at the moment quite fit enough to implement a, a full 90 minutes of the intensity of the football Mikel Arteta wants to play. 
long term under Mikel Arteta then you mentioned it's going to take a long time to get them where he wants them to be but will he get that time do you think I'd like to think so um I think Arsenal obviously I think basically all through my well, it was all through my childhood growing up. Uh, Arsene Wenger was the manager and what a stretch he had as Arsenal manager. Then Unai Emre came in. That didn't work. Looked as though it might have for a brief while, but it didn't. Um, and now they brought in a, a former club captain, a man who is very strong and I'm sure we'll get on to his man management and wanting to uphold the values of the club. And I think you see with what's happened at Manchester United in trying to find a manager to succeed Sir Alex Ferguson, it is difficult and sometimes you do need to grin and bear with a manager and let them work it out on the job. And I think Arteta is a young manager. Uh, I think with the schooling he's had, whether it be as a player under um, Arsene Wenger or whether it be as a coach under Pep Guardiola, there's not really many better people placed with the ideology that he wants to instill. Uh, and I think he's shown strong man management. And as, as I say, I think he should be given the time. I think it's bigger than one man, this job at Arsenal. And I think it's actually a collective responsibility from the likes of Edu, who's technical director, Raul Sanyei, who's head of football operations, and Mikel Arteta. I think they come as a trio. Uh, obviously, with results, managers are always the ones who have their heads on the chopping block in terms of if results start going wrong it's always the manager who is looked at and has the fingers pointed at but I think with Arsenal it needs to be a collective effort and uh, accountability needs to be held for the likes of Edu and Raul Senyei if players either stop coming through the academy and the supply line stops which actually Arsenal there's there's no sign of that in fact we've got a lot of good young players coming through or if the recruitment is poor and bad players begin to arrive at Arsenal or continue to arrive. I have to say, over the last year, it does look encouraging, the players that have arrived, and hopefully uh, that continues. Stan Kroenke's not going to be uh, willing to uh, dig his hand deep into his pocket, even before the, the COVID-19 crisis, to really bankroll and fund Arsenal out of this position. It needs to be smart management behind the scenes that allows Arteta to do his job on the pitch, really. That, that's my viewpoint, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated personally to see how he gets on because, you know, it's difficult to know when somebody works under somebody as good as Pep Guardiola. You wonder, you know, whether he is going to ever reach that level. I suppose that the signs are are good so far for Mikel Arteta. And one of the big things, as you say, is is that man management. We've seen, obviously, issues with Mesut Ozil and I, I honestly can't even begin to put into words the, the complications that, that he has caused Arsenal with his contract and and his lack of, of performances. But we've seen Matteo Guendouzi as well um, of late sort of causing a little bit of trouble and, and getting himself um, into to hot water, if you like, with, with referees and, and things like that. And his discipline hasn't quite been good enough. But Mikel Arteta, from the outside at least, appears to have sort of stamped his authority and, and he, he doesn't seem to be taking any any nonsense. No, and I think that's probably one of the the big differences from being a, a number two to a number one is when communication becomes involved. Because you're obviously, if you're a number two, you're obviously a good coach and your coaching pedigree must obviously st stack up if you're going to take on the role as a manager, as a head coach. But I think what comes with that in terms of press responsibilities, communicating to fans, getting your message across to them, and then also communicating with your players. So often we hear number two's being talked about as, as good cop and bad cop. And I think Mikel Arteta very much is a bad cop. Uh, he has no problem with singling players out, with telling them 
how they need to behave. And as I referred to it before, I think with Arsenal and with Arteta, a lot of it's about the traditions and the values in which Arsenal hold themselves. Yes, it's something that you can hang on to as a supporter when things aren't going badly, saying, well, Arsenal are a proper club. They do things in a good way, in a good manner. But Mikel Arteta has come in and he stamped his ethos immediately on what, for him, Arsenal Football Club stands stands for and what he will and won't tolerate. Now, Meza Ozil, if you look at his, his record of actually playing an away game since he signed that contract, I think it was um, January 2018, um, Meza Ozil put pen to paper on that deal. It may even have been 2017, 350 grand a week. And in that time, he I think he's, he's played in less than half of the away Premier League games outside of what you would describe as either London or the South. So obviously the likes of Southampton, Brighton, Bournemouth and, and Watford as well. He never, he, he rarely travels away. I know this game's obviously at the Emirates, but his lack of commitment to the cause, I think can be questioned. I think Arteta's had enough of it and he's he sort of thrown him out and said, right, you're going to be the example I make of. I'm not going to stand for any nonsense. And you're, you're basically, your days at Arsenal are numbered despite your undoubted quality that you do show when you do want to, to show up. And with Gendouzi, it's, He's a player who I think it went to his head. Uh, he was our best player, certainly first half, first quarter of the season he, uh, before Arteta arrived. He was really showing promise in the midfield, but he's, he's shown somewhat of an arrogant streak, whether it be on a, a midwinter break that they had in Dubai not long after Arteta had taken over or recently against Brighton and Hove Albion, mouthing off to Neil Mopai after he'd been involved in the incident that saw Bird Leno injured and uh, 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 allegedly walking around the pitch, basically telling Morpai that he wasn't worth the, the, the dirt on his boot because Gwendouzi earned far more money than what Mopai did. And of course, Neil Mopai came up with the, the last minute winner for Brighton in that game. And as I say, Mikel Arteta not happy with the attitude and that for him comes above quality, comes above performance. If you're not behaving correctly, you're not going to be an Arsenal player for much longer. And I think that could be the case. And I think actually, as much as David Luiz is ridiculed, just the final point on the man management, I think Arteta has shown brilliant man management with him as well, because it wasn't sure if he was going to sign this new contract that he has now agreed. He got sent off at Manchester City, came out after the game and basically held his hands up and, and threw himself under the proverbial bus rather than his teammates and said, the manager wants to keep me here. The manager's brilliant. And I think actually the way in which he has managed that situation and allowed David Luiz to be one of the senior figures in the dressing room, albeit his quality might not stack up, it does show that he is willing to actually get strong allies in the dressing room to hopefully allow that to be the springboard for moving forward. Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red Channel. You mentioned David Luiz there and next up in, in my notes for the podcast, I've just written two words, defence shambles. That pretty <laughs> much sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, when you look at the back three that's been playing recently, Mustafi, David Luiz... And Saeed Kalasinac, it's an absolute wonder that Arsenal did actually keep three clean sheets in, in four games. I mean, Rob Holding did actually play in the game at, down at, at Southampton. But yeah, it's it's been a back three put together more through necessity than desire from Mikel Arteta. And it's probably, it probably is being a bit generous, I should have thought, the worst Arsenal back three or defensive unit I can ever remember. Um Mustafi, I mean, if you, if you look at that back line and those defenders, Liverpool, of course, had that much cherished side of 2013-14 that went so close to the league title. And the undoing was the defence. Arsenal effectively 
have a similar blend of players, but rather than those attacking qualities being heightened and those defensive vulnerabilities being masked, the defensive vulnerabilities are being highlighted and it's the attacking qualities that are being masked right now. I mean, Saeed Kalasinac, a left fullback who reminds me effectively of Ali Sissoko, but rather than play him as a left fullback on the on the wing that if he is beaten, all right, they've still got to get the ball into the box. He's playing right in the heart of a defensive unit and he's got no defensive instinct whatsoever. And Skodran Mustafi, the other side on the right of the back three at the moment, to me is is much like Mamadou Sacco in terms of Mamadou Sacco's got this cult following or had this cult following with Liverpool fans who if Liverpool went a few games keeping clean sheets or Sacco played respectably well people would say look this guy is a brilliant defender he can be something he's come from PSG he was the captain at a young age Mustafi won the World Cup with Germany in 2014 he's a World Cup winner he must be good uh, he has a few games and everyone goes yeah look see Mustafi is a brilliant player. That is the player we we paid £35 million from Valencia to sign. What a defender he can be. And then all of a sudden, those rash qualities come out once more, diving into tackles, trying to win the ball in the air where he, he absolutely has no possibility of doing so. Um, and, and that really is all of it highlighted. And then you come to David Luiz, who... I mean, it's remarkable to think only three years ago he was in the team of the year playing in the middle of a a back three. And I think there is promise there with him, but you need to have security either side of him. And right now, Arsenal don't have any of that at all. No, and you mentioned the the sort of Liverpool players to compare to there. And I suppose there are are some similarities in an attacking sense as well, because, you know, Liverpool, maybe two, three, maybe even more years ago, were very, very good going forward and you thought they would always have a chance of scoring, but then they'd be let down by those at the back. And I suppose that's pretty much how it is for Arsenal right now. Yeah, as I said, I do think the attacking unit does actually need to uh, hold its hands up to an extent because the recent game against Leicester at the Emirates, for example, Arsenal absolutely pounded the Leicester goal for the first half. And I'm still in two minds now whether it was a Kasper Schmeichel masterclass in goal for Leicester City or whether it was the strikers not being clinical enough. But I take your point. It's, it is, as I say, that defensive side to the squad, I do think is similar to that Liverpool 13-14 side with, as I said, the likes of Mustafi and Kalasinac if you sub in uh, Sissoko and, and Sacco. But at the top end of the pitch as well, it's not too dissimilar. Alex Lacazette, when he... He, he's he's been a brilliant foil for for Arsenal in setting the the platform for them to play the physicality he brings to the game the pressing but he's sort of got a bit too carried away with doing that and forgot his main responsibility is to be in the team to to score goals now he has got back on the goal trail recently scored at Wolves and scored that stunner at Spurs um, would like to see him do more of his work between the width of the 18 yard box to be fair and and causing goalkeepers issues because in terms of a clinical finisher I do think he, he he's sort of similar to the to Sturridge that Liverpool had at that time Aubameyang of course a lethal finisher much like Luis Suarez all right he doesn't do quite as much pressing but as I say Lacazette sort of takes on on that role in this team and then you've got the the young teenage sensation in Bakayo Saka who this year has absolutely blown everyone away I, I think if you'd said his name even a year ago to Arsenal fans, they would have said, oh, is is that the guy who you see a few videos knocking around on, on Twitter of? Or, or who is he? Um, and, well, nobody's left in any doubt now, are they? No, Bukayo Saka, of course, a player that was linked with Liverpool for 
a long time really for a number of months did really well as you say at left back this season and has, has now moved forward but he has signed a new contract with with Arsenal and that must be I suppose a big relief for Arsenal fans that one of their better players has, has decided to stick around. Yeah, he signed a new deal and so's Gabriel Martinelli as you say the two of them linked with Liverpool and I have to say, I'm glad I'm working from home at this time because if those players had moved to Liverpool and I'd been in the office, I wouldn't have heard the end of it from yourself. I'm sure no end. But um, no, he's 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 a brilliant player, Saka. Um, he's played, as you say, at left back. He, he started the season really as a right winger, got an assist at Old Trafford in a, a one-all draw there. Then he's played left wing as well. It is the wings that are his preferred position and the position he's come through in the academy. But even recently, he's been playing in the centre of midfield, which is absolutely remarkable when you consider that Bakayo Saka is, well, he's he's in his first season as a professional, as a first-team player at Arsenal, when he is only 18, and yet there is now so much responsibility on his shoulders. I just hope that this doesn't become the thinking of Arsenal and Arsenal fans right now, thinking this 18-year-old is going to be able to do this for the next 10, 15 years from now because you don't want to burn him out. You, he's already played 36 times this season and you, you want to allow him to nurture and develop his talent as opposed to have the pressure on him to make sure he's delivering week in, week out. At the moment, he's playing without fear and long may that continue. And he's, he's actually Arsenal's top assist maker this season, having created 11 goals in all competitions. As I say, his rise has been absolutely remarkable. Yeah, and at the other end of the, the scale in terms of his price tag, obviously Saka coming through the academy is, is costing nothing. Nicolas Pepe, a man who was linked with Liverpool extensively last summer, I think Arsenal ended up paying, what was it, £72 million. Pounds. I mean, how would you assess his season? Have, have Liverpool missed out at all? Um, well, I suppose my long pause probably answers the question. Um, no, I don't think Liverpool have missed out and I don't think Arsenal have bought a dud as we sort of record and, and sit here talking about him right now. Uh, he's contributed to 16 goals this season. Eight goals, eight assists. He's shown glimpses of brilliance, but he's also shown signs of maybe not being quite up to the A, a the intensity of what Arteta wants at Arsenal and, and B, maybe even the intensity of, of the Premier League, dare I say it. He, he's looked good in the Europa League for Arsenal this season. And there, as I say, there have been flashes of brilliance from him in in the Premier League as well. But there was one incident on uh, on Sunday in, in the North London derby where the ball was passed just to the side of him and he reached out a leg. And he, he's one of those players, Nicola Pepe, who doesn't, doesn't sort of look like he's busting a gut when he's sprinting and it all sort of comes easy to him and, and very sort of laid back and relaxed. Anyway, the ball went wide of him and he, he flicked a foot at it and it, it went behind him and all of a sudden he was taken out of possession, I think, by Lucas Moura. And he ran back after the ball and Lucas Moura literally just ducked his shoulder, dropped inside him. And rather than chase him then any further back, Nicola Pepe just went, oh, I'm beaten and sort of just kept trudging around the pitch. I think the ball's crossed in towards Harry Kane and either put it wide or Emi Martinez had to, to come and bail him out and, and get to the ball. But it was, I think it was actually the chance where Kane nearly lobbed it over Martinez. But it was, it, there, there are, as I say, worrying signs. But at the same time, I do think there is a player in there. It's just whether Arsenal can play to his strengths. But I don't think 
And for a £72 million player, this is probably damning, that his quality necessitates Arsenal having to change the way they play to cater him. I think he needs to to get on board with what Arsenal need to do and want to do because they'll be far stronger as a collective rather than just relying on the skill set of, of Nicola Pepe. Yeah, certainly there was never any chance of, of Liverpool spending that sort of money on him. But uh, I mean, it just in, a final question in terms of Arsenal season as a whole. Four points off the European places as it stands, of course, after Manchester City's uh, recent uh, discovery that they will be in the Champions League for the next couple of seasons. I mean, where do you think Arsenal will, will finish? And, and will Mikel Arteta be happy, really, wherever they finish this season? I think he, actually, yeah, I think he probably will. Uh, because I think he, we've heard Jurgen Klopp say it a lot recently since winning the league, that he knows what his squad's about. He doesn't need to find out any more about them. He knows who he needs long-term at Anfield and he knows likewise who therefore he doesn't. And I think Arteta, in these sort of, this half a season he's he's had in charge at Arsenal, has been able to look into just the sheer scale of the job facing him. And it will be an interesting summer for Arsenal, close season to see quite what they can do uh, transfer-wise. They've been linked with Thomas Partey heavily from Atletico Madrid. That would be an absolutely monumental signing for a side that may finish uh, in, in the bottom half of the Premier League. I don't think we will. I think it will be sort of eighth or ninth where we currently sit. But Thomas Partey coming in would be a midfield destroyer that Arsenal have, have lacked and missed for a long time. There's talk that the club want to keep Danny Ceballos from Real Madrid. He's been a brilliant player defensively. William Saliba comes in. There will need to be more work done in that area of the pitch. And then it's whether they can keep Aubameyang for another year with obviously only a year left on his contract, whether they can agree an extension on that and whether that means they then have to lose Alex Lacazette, other forwards might have to come in. It's a real minefield in, in terms of what Arsenal can do. But in terms of this season, I think for Arteta, it's been one step forward, one step back. Arsenal aren't going backwards, but they're definitely not going forwards. They are right now a middling tide in the Premier League, as, as much as it pains me to say it. And they do need some some major surgery done to the squad and maybe even to the club and the mindset of the club as a whole to get Arsenal back on a sure footing and hopefully over time we'll be able to climb the Premier League table. I think a year out of Europe actually wouldn't wouldn't harm Arsenal. They are still in the FA Cup. They've got Man City in the, the semi-final and Arteta is still speaking about wanting to qualify for European competition. But we saw it with Liverpool in Jurgen Klopp's first full season, of course, that Liverpool weren't in Europe and that really allowed Jurgen Klopp extra time on the training field to get his message across and also time for the players with the intensity in which he wants Liverpool or wanted Liverpool to play that they now are so accustomed to. Arteta's got a similar job on his hands. He wants that high press from Arsenal. But at the moment, are the players too tired from the sheer amount of games they play? Would a year out of Europe probably benefit them? I think it would. And I have to say, as much as I don't want to see Arsenal finishing ninth in the Premier League, I don't think it would be a bad finish. And if we could get to the final of the, the FA Cup, I wouldn't want us to then lose it. But if we did... The, the small consolation would be the fact that Arsenal wouldn't have many games next season and therefore would have time to really have a, a proper assault at getting back into the Champions League because it's been far too many years out of it for Arsenal now. 
Yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting last few games, I think, for Arsenal, starting, of course, with that game against Liverpool. And I mean, that's all we, we've got time for this morning as the, the build-up to the game continues. Thanks to, to Guy for joining me. The final question that I will throw your way, though, is to, to ask for you for a score prediction. I'm going to go for, for 3-1 to Liverpool, but what do you think it will be? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to... Uh... Oh, I'm going to say score draw. Uh, it'll be, I think it'll be two apiece, two two. I think at the Emirates tonight. Um, Arsenal have goals in them, but don't we know that they they're able to concede them as well? And I think a, a two two draw wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. No, Liverpool, of course, need to win all three of their remaining games to beat Manchester City's 100 points record. But we will see how it pans out. And no matter the outcome, you'll be able to follow it all across the Liverpool Echo and Blood Red. Paul Wheelock will be back with the post-game podcast after full time. And I'll be live on YouTube with Theo Squires once again at the final whistle for all of your post-match reaction and analysis. For now, though, thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the build-up to the match. But for myself and from Guy, until next time, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.